Good morning, Jerry. Good morning, John. How are you, hey, sir? Hey. How are you? Oh, good. I'm doing pretty good. Feeling good, ready for a really rambunctious show here. We do. Don Dilly one, that's for sure. That that is for sure. Well said, sir. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm Jerry. Okay. This is the Bro hey, Show, uh, and you are. What's your name? My name is John. Okay. Good. We know who we are. We are the Bro Show. We got a few things to talk about today. We have a story about an animal. What is the mm. season? The animal season we're in, John. Lizard. Okay, so we got lizard story. a lizard. We got yep. a word. We got a word. And we got two takes on something. Yep. All good. Yeah. Hey, are you wearing yeah. anything besides that blanket? <laughs> yeah, I am actually. I've got two blankets, an outstanding okay. T-shirt with uh, a rat on it. You got the rat T-shirt, huh? I do. Mm. I do. I figured I kind of kind of dug deep, and sure enough, I came up with season of the lizard. So appropriate. Oh, oh nice. Oh, yeah, nice. you know this this T-shirt is one that only we have. Uh, That's right. We are the the owners of it. We it we're the it, this is it. I mean, you can't get other people cannot get this T-shirt, unfortunately. So therefore, what they have to do, they have to get the, the lizard T-shirt from another source. That's right. That source Where would that be? happens to be the Horned Lizard Conservation Society. A wonderful yeah. 501c3 nonprofit organization established in the early 90s to make sure that the horned lizard, which populates uh, Mexico, Arizona, parts of Texas, continues to thrive in their environment. So That's right. This society studies and documents um, the value of this wonder an, wonderful animal, and make sure that it promotes its conservation with a variety mm. of projects. Oh, yeah. Deeply involved in what we call horn lizard management. Yeah, and absolutely. So what 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 can people do to help this organization? Is buy a, buy a t-shirt. Buy a t-shirt. Buy a t-shirt. Yeah, come on. There's always room for another t-shirt. Yeah. You know, t-shirts don't take up much room in the closet or in your drawer if you like to fold them up. No, no they don't. The they right t-shirt makes you feel good. Makes you feel good and makes it allows you to represent what you believe in. Mm. Yeah. So this is a wonderful so, group. Yeah, they are. You know, they don't take any salaries. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, they don't stuff their pockets with the moolah that is brought in by way of contributions. No. No, and that's don't. pretty. They're 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 all volunteer. It's volunteer driven, and yeah. so therefore the admin costs are next to nothing. Everything goes to benefit that wonderful animal. Yeah, yeah, they do. That's it. That's, that's very about good it. Job. You did a good job. You did a good job. You did a good job. We got it in the show notes. You, there's links in to click. There's t-shirts to buy. There's lizards to save. Oh, do they need saving? This is a. This is probably. This is a little story I wasn't, or a lizard story for today, is a little heartbreaking. Uh, the fact is that quite often when we think of feral cats, we think of them chomping on birds. Yeah. We don't realize that, you know, a bird probably makes a good meal. 
But guess what a lizard is? A good appetizer. It's a good snack. Yeah. yeah. And so as a result, we have this story called uh, about the feral cats really doing a number on the lizard population in Australia. And guess what? It's not only Australia. It's happening here in the States also. Yes. Can you give us a little background what's going on here? I would be happy to do that. Uh, you pretty much said what the story is, but uh, let me throw out some numbers here just to impress you a little bit. See if I can. Hey. Uh, yeah. Every year in Australia, feral felines kill 466 million reptiles. Wow. Okay. Yeah, now this, this doesn't count pet cats. Yeah, or the old domestic ones. Mm. No. Or the lizards that get chomped in urban areas. This is in the outback. Okay. So that's what that number is. Now, when you th- throw in all the other cats and lizards and what have you around Australia, that goes up to 649 million reptiles a year. Now, those aren't all lizards, but majority of them are. Vast majority. Yeah, and how do we know that, John? Well, it's like one of the ways you know it is by checking the uh, insides of a of a cat's stomach somewhere along the line. Yeah, and yeah, seeing how gets, much is there. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about how to give an analogy with respect to this, and when I found out that these feral cats binge eat these reptiles, yeah, it made me think yeah. of opening a a package of potato chips. And just think of a potato chip as a lizard, and you're you going eat to eat just a potato one. chip, and then you can you only eat one? No. 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 You will probably go through the whole bag of chips, Yeah. and as a result, eating 40 chips maybe, 50 chips, maybe well, 20 chips, a but a lot. 40 is a good I'm, number. I think you have to 40. You know why? Because when they did check out the contents of some uh, feral cats' stomachs, they found up to 40 individual lizards in a single cat's stomach. Now, to find it in the stomach, that means that happened that day. Wow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of lizards. That's a, now, That's a lot of lizards. All, they're not monitor lizards. They're not like, you know, three feet long. But they are good. They're lizards. You know, they're, they're individual little animals. And, wow. That, well, that's I, cool. I think, a, yeah. you know, I think birds, when you look at them, they, they have the opportunity to fly away. And believe me, let's not undermine the problem with respect to birds because it is there. And it's probably been studied a lot. This is a fairly new study, though, with the lizards. But yeah. lizards are just yeah. kind of laying low. They're out there. And, and sure enough, I think they might be just a slightly easier prey for the cat because they're both on the ground occasionally or in yeah. trees. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, oh. that, that plays into it big time, the way I see it. Um, yeah. It all makes well, I sense. Think you're right. You know, yeah, I don't I think, think this problem's going to get any better. Because with climate not. change and the way things yeah. are going, I think the lizards are going to uh, be easier, easy prey, and the cats are still going to want to do it. And they kind of, this, all this action takes place in arid, hot climate with climate change. Uh, it doesn't look good. Sorry about that, no, yeah, I'm sorry about that little lizard, guys. And, and you know, this is it's a many-faceted issue, but I guess what they worry about in Australia and have for, for centuries, the importation of alien species of animals has resulted in these weird ecological shifts. 
And cats oh, are yeah. not native. <laughs> cats are not a native animal. The lizards are entirely native. So that's, yeah. that's one. It's going to upset their concern. It's going to upset the ecological balance. And they're in the process now of trying to, trying to make some estimates of how many lizards are, are on the continent. So yeah. that's a tough one. I, that's a tough I, one too. I, I, that, those are millions of lizards, but it, they don't know yet how much impact that's making or if it's causing a problem. Um, it'd be hard to so say. They're trying to measure up the, what the, the, the size of the problem at this point before they really dive into a lot of solutions. I agree. That's the problem is is people rush into a solution on a problem like this and they create a bigger problem. Yeah. You know. Yeah, they yeah, there was a rabbit problem for a while in Australia because rabbits aren't native either. And so mm. then they brought in ferrets mm. to eat the rabbits and they had a ferret problem. You know? <laughs> and so this, Yeah. This is, this is not easy stuff, you know. This is complicated. Very complicated because, you know, they tried to get rid of feral cats in one part of Australia and then they ended up with a rodent problem, severe rodent problem, and they couldn't even bring in crops. So, <laughs> not uh, easy. Is there an end to this? I don't think so. No, probably not. Well, probably not. But, right, in the meantime, uh, this, this story we got a link to is in Gizmo- Gizmodo, which is a funny, yeah. they, they have funny writers. And I read the article, nothing else for this guy's uh, alliteration. And, and, yeah. Listen to this. He he refers to feral cats as rogue floof monsters. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. One. I thought I was bad when I called it feral feline food lizards. Yeah, yeah. He's got he's got a he's got about I'd say a half a dozen of these really really funny uh, feline overlords. You know, he's, oh. he gets a. It's a little carried away. These Gizmodo guys are kind of like the Rolling Stone guys, you know. They have a little performance enhancement going on here when they write. Right. But anyway, anyway, that's that's all I got there, John. That's a good story. Well, we got to we got to jump onto a word. I think a word. I think and so too. We, we got a pretty good word. It's a word that, as a result of our research into our two takes, we seem to run into a little bit. It's yeah. called recidivism. R-E-C-I-D-I-V-I-S-M, recidivism. Very it's good, tendency, Yeah, it's the tendency of a convicted criminal to reoffend. In other words, you go to jail, before you know it, you're back in. That's what recidivism is. Yeah. So here's an example. Organizations across the country are combating recidivism by helping ex-offenders kickstart new term, long-term careers in the restaurant industry. Uh, our, you know, there's a variety of ways where we try to rehabilitate uh, prisoners, uh, convicts, and one in the restaurant industry, I think, which we've talked about before, seems to be a good place uh, that a lot of them are able to mm-hmm. get jobs. Uh, and so, yeah. whether it be just as servers, you know, cooks, dishwasher, whatever. Oh, yeah. And, but we decided that, so that's how we came up with the word. But there's yeah. another part of this, and oh. as we took a look at two takes, that kept on hitting us. Every it seemed like a, every month this would come up. I ran into it. You ran into it first. You were talking about, yeah. oh, you know what? That's a way to get a good college education. Go to jail. Go to jail. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we we kind of joked about it a little bit, but realized. After we took a look into it, it's not quite that simple. 
Dude, and then what I did is I ran into it about a year ago, realizing Northwestern University, where I went and got my master's, has a program. And then just about a month ago, I saw that Washington University, their Brown School of Social Work, has a program where they coordinate with the Department of Corrections and maybe a junior college and try to put together something. So all of a sudden, the idea of prison education is uh, prominent. And uh, as we took a look at it, we found out one of the factors that's making that happen. Um, I'd also like to point out before that we're talking about post-secondary school education. We know that there's been long tradition of trying to get prisoners to get their high school education taken care of through the GED. And that's been something that way back when was sort of like a correspondence course, which has now kind of been driven by distance learning. So that's another program in itself. Yes. And as we take a look at the at the issues, there are many challenges as it relates to any prison education, whether it be uh, high school or a, a post, uh, you know, college education. And what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about what has driven this uh, to the point that it's become more prominent. And the, one of the things to think about what we're going to talk about is the fact that, you know what, you don't get a free ride when you go to back to this. You have to pay for your education or find a way of getting it funded. And That's right. the, the That's mystique right. of, of trying to get a scholarship money, uh, a lot of the, the public perception is, well, the money we would give the prisoners is money that we're not giving the, the students who are out of prison or not in prison. And that's where this Pell Grant comes in handy. And this is a long tradition. It goes back, I think, into the 60s where it first started. Yes, it did. Where, and you could probably describe it a little bit better, the general way that this Pell Grant works, because you actually applied for it, didn't you? Yes, I did. I got a partial so Pell Grant. It when is I went strictly back to means, is what it's based on. And it's a very yes. formulistic thing. Yes. There's, you, you put a formula together, and boom, you come up with a number, and you have a fixed number that you get. That you yeah, can yeah, use it, either. The important point is the point here is it's not exclusionary. In other words, no. in order for one person to get a grant, another another person is not denied. So exactly. So prisoners are not offsetting uh, uh, citizens out in the wild uh, getting their right. college education. No, not happening. That's the important thing about it. That's what makes this really very uh, enhancing. Very that that'll make it work. So if you had Pell, if there's Pell money. If they use too much one year, well, they don't care. They'll they'll just they have a fund and they'll you know it all it'll all work out. It's the means, it's the formula that restricts the po- the population that can use it. So well, the, the, is, the odd thing here is the odd thing here, John, is that you know everybody wins in this situation because you know people think oh these guys are getting incarcerated, they should suffer, et cetera, but they should be able to get degrees and all that stuff. They're not getting degrees; they're earning their degrees. They are getting grants to do this stuff, and the schools are not footing the bill. The prison is not footing the bill. The Pell Grants are footing the bill, and as a result, you know, the recidivism is down. It's 47%. The number of right. people going back inside is 47% if they, if they get in one of these programs. Right? And uh, I think a couple – number one, this is a, a, something that really came to the forefront in, in the, in the uh, early on. But it's had it's been often on the table with respect to prisoners being able prisoners be able to use it, and it's just recently that it's put back on the table. 
there was a period in the 90s where it was like, gift, get tough on crime. And they yeah. thought one way to get tough on crime was obviously to convict a lot of people. And the other one is, well, let's not give them this, this opportunity to get a second, this education. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. what yeah. do you end up with? You end up with more prisoners and no, and, and, and no education. It's a, it's a, yeah. it's a bad, yeah. and they, it's bad. And they keep coming back. And, and the other weird thing about that is they enacted that get tough on crime thing at a time when crime was at its all time lowest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really. I'm not making this shit up. That's absolutely true, you know. And they did that, and they're making it hard. And now, well, it's been coming back. Obama brought it back as a test. Remember, right. it called second chance, pal, is that what they call it? Right. I think. Yeah, and now with this, uh, it got we got in the 1.4 billion trillion dollar trillion. relief package that we got for the pandemic. The prisoners also got their Pell grants back. So uh, one of the things that's interesting about the most recent legislation is that first thing we, we need to understand is you've got to have the educators in line in order to do the education. You've got the students, you've got the teachers. The good news is that colleges look really want to do this. And when Obama first proposed it, he uh, it was a, a kind of a limited thing that was done. And yeah. they had uh, and they had 180 colleges jump to the forefront and say, we'd like to do it, mm-hmm. but they could only mm-hmm. use 67 of them. So I ran into the fact that Northwestern, Washington University, St. Louis University, just by me just doing a little bit of, of work. So there is a supply that the supply is there. Education can be delivered. Now, we're not going to mm. talk about the deli- delivery methods, obviously, are real. Are re- it can be Those challenging. Change. Yeah, those, uh, change, those yeah. can change and those are worked out. The other thing is that's interesting about this bill is that it, it there's a, a piece that requires you to be accountable for. So the accountability is something so that first thing is the components target, uh, you know, the certain areas they feel that might be the best for the for the prisoners to get their education because the end yeah. result we want here. Is we don't want a educated person walking the street and unemployed. The good, no. the, what we want is an end result is a prisoner being able to make a livelihood. Uh, you know, and that's, yeah. and that's the way it works. So they kind of try to steer them with respect to that. But I was most impressed by the fact that they hold the schools accountable, which yes. means that the schools are going to be checking and they're going to look at their graduation rates. They're going to look at the, how many of these students that they put through are actually uh, getting jobs and yeah, placement, placement, placement exercise. Yeah. There's another piece to this. Keep in mind that one of the challenges that's mentioned in this is the fact that that prisoner might be, you know, the uh, halfway through his his program to get his degree, and all of a sudden he's going to get released. So is he going to start being bad so he can stay in prison? I don't think so. We have it set up so that the program continues once he he can continue his education outside the prison to fulfill his degree requirements. And I think that's a big part of the bill too. So I think yeah. it's, it's got some nice yeah. pieces to it. So. Yeah. This, what started out is kind of, uh, we're j- not a joke exactly, but we're kidding each other about it. it turns out to be a real thing that, that it's got legs and it's got a success rate. Uh, it should be noted that in a lot of pro- programs have been brought into prisons and they all enjoy a fairly high success rate as far as curbing recidivism. The biggest problem in prison is respect, and that right. starts with self-respect. And so any attention 
people get, uh, prisoners get from the outside that gives them legitimacy, even in their own minds, makes a huge difference in how they feel about themselves when they get out because they are going to have obstacles to overcome and the ammo to overcome those obstacles is not a gun. The ammo right. is self, self-respect. I just also there. like to give a historical note looking in the Wayback Machine here. When you say the word Pell, P-E-L-L, that mm. refers to Claiborne Pell, who was a senator in Rhode Island in the uh, 60s, 70s, and 80s. He actually served six terms as a senator, 36 years. And wow. the grant, when it was originally uh, enacted back in the early 60s, had just a typical generic educational relief bill title, but they realized, they said, this guy has done so much. So after he retired as a senator, they figured his one of his major uh, things that he wanted to do, outcomes he looked for as a senator, was to improve education. So they named it the Pell Grant. So that's where the wow. name, he gets the name P-E-L-L from Claiborne. What a dude. I like that name, don't yeah, Don't you like that name? Claiborne's a cool name. I like guys who have like a real fancy first name and a one-syllable last name. And this guy's got it, right? Yeah, right? It's kind Claiborne Pell. Cool. That's it's probably the main reason I, am, I I get a chance to say it. I said it twice. Say it again. Go ahead. Claiborne. Claiborne. Ooh, nice. All right, I'm ready for a groaner too. What do you What do you think? Groaners. Okay. Our groaners are provided to us by Vincent Anthony Lauder Jr., commonly referred to as the coach. The coach. And the coach has been uh, very generous to, today or this week and provided me with two real juicy ones. So here we go. Okay. What do you call a very eccentric proctologist? What do you call very a very eccentric, eccentric proctologist? I don't know. One crazy ass doctor. <laughs> well, there's two ways to say that. I think one crazy ass doctor, and then one crazy ass doctor. Yeah, I wasn't real sure. I got the hyphen in there. I'm not real, but that's all I know. You're right. The emphasis could be on the on take your pick on what word you want to put yeah, it on. Yeah, yeah, probably works. So hey, one. this one isn't quite. I kind of gave you my best shot with the first one, so we'll we'll, oh. we'll kind of let this one go too here. What do you call an owl? That is a doctor. What do you call an owl that is a doctor? Doctor Who. Oh, you got it. You nailed it. You nailed it. You nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was I was worried that it was it would be so obvious that you would, you know. Yeah. yeah but man, you deliver. Obvious. You came through in the clutch. Thank you, John. Thank you. Shucks, it was nothing. I just showed up. 